Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord. We thank you, Father, for this time. We thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the truth of the Scriptures and the things that they teach. We ask you, dear God, that you will be with us this morning, that it will be a blessing to you. The service will glorify your name. The teaching of the Word of God would also bless those who would hear. I pray, dear Father, you would be with me, Lord, as I preach, and uh, and also, dear Lord, with those who are watching and uh, who are listening to this uh, to this broadcast this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, it's Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day today. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Maria. Happy Mother's Day, um, everybody that's uh, that are mothers and that are watching. Um, it's a it's a blessing, and it's always a blessing to have to have a good mother who uh, who knows and loves her children, and um, and I just uh, I pray that you be encouraged um, through the through the service this morning as well, and and that the day today would be a blessing. I know a lot of you, uh, especially in Melbourne, would be um, a bit disappointed because um, perhaps you won't be seeing your children today, uh, but I pray that they would encourage you nonetheless. We, uh, I'm going to get straight into this uh, this series, uh, this this third part of the the series this morning, um, and the title, as you know, um, that we have for the month of May is the May Day series, um, and this the title of this series is known as the the time of the signs. Um, this is where we're going to be considering many of the signs that Jesus spoke about in the uh, in the New Testament. And many of the signs that are also illustrated in the Old Testament with respect to um, the, these particular days, or it seems to be very evident, these particular days. Um, this isn't a series of sermons that I take, that I take lightly. Um, the message is often quite sombre, especially for those who, who don't know the Lord. And 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 I and I guess particularly in the times that we're living in at the moment, because there is a tremendous amount of difficulty in the world. Um, nevertheless, it's not designed to make us despondent. It's not designed to discourage us, especially those who know the Lord, and really even to those who don't know the Lord, because it's there as an evidence that the Bible is true that God is real, that Jesus Christ is true and he also died for the sins of you and of I. It's there as a proof and that's the encouraging thing about all of this because as we go through this series, we see a proof of Christ. We see a proof of the gospel and that's what um, I want to encourage you with. 20%, 27% of the Bible is prophetic. Uh, that's I didn't come up with that criteria. I have no idea how much of it's prophetic, but every time I look at it, it seems to be talking more and more about prophecy when it looks at the different verses. Jesus said specifically, So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is at hand, in Luke twenty-one thirty-one, The Lord wants you to know of all of these things that are coming to pass. He wants you to know that because he wants you to also trust and believe that he lived and that he died, that he would died for your sins, that you might be free from the penalty of sin. All the world will be judged at death. Every single individual will die and every single individual who doesn't know Christ will be judged at that time. It is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. 
But there is also a time coming that has never been in this world before and will never come again, a time of tremendous tribulation. And the only way of escape is by believing the gospel. And it's not a threat. You know, I find it astounding how many people consider it a threat, as if, as if, as if a warning sign on a dangerous chemical is a threat, as if, as if a warning sign that, that, that a cliff is ahead is a threat. These things aren't threats, they're signs, they're indicators, they're to warn you of a danger that it is to come. They're not threats, it's not to threaten you into the gospel, it's to keep you and to maintain you in safekeeping. And that's the purpose of all of these signs. They're to keep you in safekeeping and they're to encourage you. Last week we looked at two sermons, um, when we're just with respecting Israel And in the first sermon alone, we looked at all the different things that were already completely fulfilled. The signs of Israel's dispersion throughout all the world, fulfilled. The sign of the people of Israel finding no rest in any other nation but their own, fulfilled. The sign of the land of Israel remaining fallow and awaiting the return of their people, fulfilled. Uh, the sign of the people being regathered into the land, fulfilled. The sign of the nation created in a single day, fulfilled. The sign of Israel bringing forth in travail, in other words, wars surrounding her on the first day, fulfilled. The sign of Israel being a burdensome stone and a cup of trembling to all who tamper with her, all the nations around about her, fulfilled. And the sign of the deserts blooming as a rose and water breaking out in the wilderness fulfilled. These are eight items that the Bible speaks about in the ancient times and has been fulfilled within the lifetime of a man. Um, Except for obviously the dispersion, which was 2,000 years earlier. There's eight signs spoken of in the Old and the New Testaments. Um, We looked at the at the Bible with respect to the things that are yet to come, things that are being witnessed now uh, that we see, the preparation for the third temple spoken about in the Bible, being witnessed now, the priests to be identified because they need the high priest being witnessed now, the temple furniture being made, witnessed now, the, 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 the training of the, of the priests for the work in the temple being witnessed now, the looming wars being moved against her being witnessed now. And the coming hatred of the world for the Jews being witnessed now, the coming abomination of the temple of Antichrist uh, by Antichrist, that's to come. And the coming realisation and the mourning of, of uh, the people of Israel for, for their saviour, and that's also to come. We're only a quarter of the way in to this, to this series. We, we still have three quarters to go, and this is only part three that we're looking at this morning. Can I ask you, are you, are you does, this, does this astound you? Are you amazed by this? Are you watching these signs? These signs are incredible signs of the Lord's coming. And these are incredible proofs of the Lord's coming. Any, any one of those things that I've already spoken of um, would, be, would be impossible of their own. What do we say when they're all coming together? So what an incredible blessing. So the question for you is, are you ready? Are you ready for for the days that are ahead? The title this morning's message is Be Not Deceived. Be Not Deceived. And it follows Jesus' own words. 
in, uh, in the book of Matthew, Mark and Luke. If you'll turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, we'll, we'll be there. We'll spend a little bit of time there. It's worth keeping your finger there because we'll be returning to that passage in, uh, in Matthew's account fairly regularly. Matthew chapter 24, let's take our reading from verse, uh, from verse 3. And it says there, As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, a topic, dear Lord, with regards to the sign of deception in the last days, a vacuum, dear Lord, of truth that has made the way, dear Lord, for deception to come. And I ask and pray, dear Lord, that you would help us to be aware of these things and that you would help me to speak with clarity on the matter as with regards to how the Bible presents it, and that we might be able to see, that we might be able to test for ourselves whether or not this sign is a sign that we are seeing in these times. And I pray, dear Lord, that you would be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus spoke the same thing in Mark's Gospel, in Mark chapter 13, verses 3 to 6. The same thing again in Luke's account, in Luke 21 verses 7 to 8, continually he spoke about and he gave the first answer to the question, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? And the first thing that Jesus said in each of those accounts that we have recorded is be not deceived. Do not be deceived. There is a tremendous impression that the characteristic of these last days before the time of the Lord's return is deception. Deception will characterise the days. Deception will characterise the time that we're going to be living in or that the, the last days are going to be identified by. It'll be deception, according to the Bible. This thing is, is tremendous because... If deception is going to be a characteristic of the time, then it's very, very difficult. It, it, it creates a, a very poor foundation for our lives because it's difficult to believe anything that actually occurs and happens. And, and we're seeing so much of that today. The disciples specifically inquired about a sign for the, the days, the time coming uh, before Jesus' return. And Jesus responds clearly, be not deceived. Deception is simply an untruth. It's the telling of lies with the explicit with the um, the explicit purpose of leading people astray, having them turn to a to a false way. It was set originally by the deceiver himself. From the beginning in the Garden of Eden, he created doubt in the mind of Eve, and he asked the question, "Hath God said?" And Eve decided that she would be now the arbiter of truth to determine whether or not God had said. And then as a direct result of that, the devil denied and said, you will not die if you eat of, that, of the fruit of that tree. 
And we have the entire fall of mankind as a direct result of that. Everybody from the time of Eve till today are born in sin. They're born already with a sin nature because of that fall. It's what the Bible would refer to as original sin. Deceit will characterize the days that precede the second coming of Christ. Deception is a sign of the times. Now, most specifically and interestingly of all is what Jesus refers to here. As, as soon as he says that, as soon as he refers to and speaks about uh, being not deceived, he gives one of the main causes or one of the main um, points of that deception. And he says in verse 5 in Matthew chapter 24, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. In Mark's account, he says, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. In Luke's account, it says, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. It needs to be considered that there are going to be many individuals who would claim to be Jesus Christ. Would literally claim to be the second coming of Christ. I mean, I, you know, I, I can't even get my head around how, what level of self-conceit that would, that would be for an individual. Are they deceived? Are they, just, are they deceived? Are they deceivers? I mean, do they exalt themselves more than any man? I mean, what's the motivation? What, are they just mad? Well, some of them would definitely seem to be mad, you know. Um, but the, there's such a problem with this because... To make the claim that you are Christ is the height of blasphemy if it's not true. It's the height of blasphemy if it's not true. And in the Old Testament, it's deserving of death. A matter of fact, Jesus himself was put on a cross for making the claim. But there was a distinction. Because with the Lord Jesus Christ, there was evidence of it. There was evidence of it. And this is the fundamental problem because when you, when you lose the word of God, when you lose your foundation of truth, in what way are you going to be able to determine whether or not this person is speaking the truth or speaking a lie? How will you know if you don't have a standard of truth in order to measure it by? With Jesus Christ, there were 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in what he did. you know. And as a direct result of that, he held and God held the people accountable to know Christ. They were held accountable to know Christ. The curious thing is, though, that the second coming of the Lord, according to many pastors who have studied this particular thing, believe that there are more than twice as many prophecies concerning the details surrounding his second coming, not just his coming, also his reign. If there are 600 evidences in Scripture that should be able to identify the actual second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when a false Christ comes in, shouldn't we be able to recognise this isn't him? Shouldn't we be able to see it? I mean, what level of blindness does it have to take to be able to develop a multitude of people following as a false Christ? 
What, what, is their, what is their frame of reference? What is it that, that they have identified that they could actually see for themselves whether or not this is, this is Christ? And I don't know. The Bible says search the scriptures to see if those things are true. So where are people going with regards to identifying these false Christs? Are they going to the scriptures? No. Why? Because the Bible has been created so much doubt in that no one believes it anymore. And yet I'm here to tell you that the Bible is true. Everything in the Bible is specific. Everything in the Bible is absolutely true. The difficulty with this is that Jesus says that the blind lead the blind and both shall fall into the ditch. It won't be just these false prophets that will find themselves in hell. It'll be every single individual who follows their pernicious ways. They too will find themselves in hell. Why wouldn't you look if there's, such a, if there's such a risk, why wouldn't you look, check, see whether or not this is the Christ, this is the coming of the Lord? Turn, to Bible to, turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. And we're just going to read the first three verses here. And have a look at how he describes these things. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not (laughs) beloved this is one of the things that's really important to be able to recognize according to what peter's saying here there were false prophets back then during the time of 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 even the disciples there shall be false teachers among among us during our times and from their time on many are going to be following their ways and will bring to themselves swift destruction according to the to the scriptures these individuals who are false christs are false christs they are absolute heretics and their damnation does not slumber we'll have a look at a couple of examples this morning Throughout the Bible, prophets, angels, and Jesus himself all promised that the Son of God would return to create heaven on earth. And throughout the ages, billions of Christians have wondered, when? But what if the second coming is here, now? There are a number of would-be messiahs who claim exactly that, and few are more physically convincing than a former Russian traffic cop named Sergei Torop. In the woods of rural Siberia, he is known as Vissarion, the teacher, and around 5,000 disciples live around him, growing their own food and feasting on his every word. And my whole body was trembling. The trembling is not coming again. <laughs> well, it's a, a very emotional to me. Meanwhile, in London, David Shaler says he is the true Lord of Lords, but unlike Vissarion, 
no one believes him. That doesn't bother me because I was chosen by God. The former British intelligence agent says his body was filled with the spirit of Jesus in 2007, a conviction which intensifies on a visit to Jerusalem. We're in the Church Holy Sepulchre and this behind me is supposed to be the tomb of Christ. Well, I'm Christ, I'm not in the tomb, I'm not dead yet. But with no support, he lives in a squatter's camp outside London. My agreement with Jesus is I don't ask for money off people. If you're the Messiah, you shouldn't be asking for money, you should have faith that God will look after you. Prove to me that you are a son of God! But that is not a sentiment shared by Pastor Apollo Quibbeloy, the most successful of the world's self-labeled saviors. The official coming of the Son of God was in April 13, 2005. He was an obscure evangelist from the rural Philippines until 2005 when he announced that God had appointed him Christ on earth. His reward for a pure life, sinful thoughts, uh, anger, Lust, any of those things, you don't experience those on a daily basis? As a human being? Yes. I have already overcome all of those. There is no apocalypse in Kibaloi's message, no rapture or final judgment. Instead, he preaches that he is the model of Christianity. And as more people follow his example, God will gradually turn the earth back into the Garden of Eden. An ordinary Australian making an extraordinary claim. AJ Miller says he's Jesus Christ. We first found him spruiking his message in Australia, but now this self proclaimed Son of God has taken his mission to the world. Denham Hitchcock caught up with AJ deep in the heart of Texas. I'm going to have to say that I'm Jesus. <laughs> That's how much rage is there, you see? I certainly don't want to be Jesus. <laughs> At the moment, I certainly don't want to be His name is Alan John Miller, or AJ, a former IT worker from Queensland's Bible Belt. <laughs> he claims he's Jesus Christ, back from the dead, to spread a message he calls the divine truth. And remember that it has been prophesied in the Bible and other places that I was going to do this, that I was going to return. AJ is currently on a worldwide tour. We've travelled to the American state of Texas to find him. So we go in with a local Christian who read about the seminar on the internet. The room is small, but it's full. AJ is front and centre. To his right is his girlfriend Mary. Not any Mary, but the Mary Magdalene who witnessed the crucifixion. And this century, she has the handicap duties. We usually, before we give a talk, we talk to our spirit friends about what they feel are the issues you're facing. AJ believes after death, he and Mary were in the spirit world, a world he remains in contact with. It's a message the faithful have travelled from all over the US to hear. Florida and California, Philadelphia, New Mexico, New Mexico Washington, 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 South Carolina, Texas. Texas. <laughs> the spirits, he says, want them to change the way they live, to love more, become self-sufficient, to prepare for cataclysmic events such as the ones in the movie 2012 huge natural disasters from which he will emerge as the same. His followers have financed his current world trip from Australia to Greece, England, Dallas, Texas and back to the UK.
He will destroy the devil with the brightness of his coming. I mean, are these some of the things that had followed these individuals? I mean, do we see that as evidence that they are genuine? And it's astounding how many times you actually find that they actually refer to um, themselves as, as Christ, but they all preach the same message. Basically, there is no hell, but we all need to love each other more. We all need to be tolerant of one another more. They're all in touch with some sort of a spirit realm. They're all experienced some sort of an emotional high and they lead many people astray. And some of them would lead them so directly to hell that they would identify themselves as Antichrist. Have a look at the Spaniard, Jesus. In a tattoo parlor on Trendy South Beach, Did you the 666 really big? Yeah sat the daughter of the man who claims to be God. He's back. He's here to teach us that we should reign in life, that there is no sin. And today we're honoring him with a symbol. Joanne de Jesus is one of several dozen members of a religious sect called Crescienda en Gracia, or Growing in Grace. They were tattooed on their arms, ankles, even their necks with 666, the biblical sign of the Antichrist. Why? Because their spiritual leader says he is the Antichrist, not the embodiment of evil, but rather the second coming. 666, Antichrist means do not put your eyes on Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Put it in Jesus after the cross. And that's you? That's me. And he says the word Antichrist is a bad translation of a word that actually means the new Christ, the second coming. Puerto Rican-born Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda founded the sect 20 years ago in a warehouse outside Miami. You receive it, you accept it, you confess it, and it's done unto you. The charismatic 61-year-old DeJesus claims millions of followers, most in Latin America. His sect does have hundreds of churches, cable TV stations, and says it brought in $1.4 million in donations last year. And he boasts of a rapidly growing presence in the United States. In an interview with us in September, he declared, I do greater things than Jesus of Nazareth, much greater. Now, sporting his new tattoos, Seis, 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 triple S. De Jesus says those expecting the second coming of Christ on a cloud with angels have misinterpreted what Jesus himself said. He said it. You won't see me anymore because he will come in another body, which is me. De Jesus preaches that heaven can be found here on earth simply by following him. There's no sin and there is no hell. And that's part of why he's attracting so many followers. But marking your body with 666 seems an unusual way to show you're a Christian. What's fascinating about this is the belief and the idea that taking the mark of the beast is somehow a misinterpretation of Antichrist. Revelation 14, 9 to 11. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up for ever and ever, 
and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Do you think any of the millions of followers of these individuals who have marked their bodies have even looked at that particular passage? It is an astounding concept to think that you can take the mark of the beast and you're going to be safe because of a vague misinterpretation of the Bible as if God is that unclear. And that's the problem. That's the problem. When we remove the foundation of truth, when we start to say and charge God with obscurity over such an important thing as this, when we charge him with obscurity concerning it, then I'm sorry, but that is a false God that is being worshipped. If one of the things that you're doing is listening to teachers who are saying that God didn't mean what he said with respect to that, or that actually means something else, or it says something else, you're following a false God because God is not vague. The clear passages are clear. There are some passages in the Bible that, that are difficult to understand. Peter spoke about that. But they are to be interpreted with those that are clear, always. But we flip it around and we interpret the clear ones with, with some that we think are vague. The Bible speaks clearly about these things. To you and I, the wickedness of these men seems evident. But to those who follow them, God hath given them a spirit of slumber, the Bible says. Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear. The passages related to the Jews with respect to them not receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, but the same could be applied here just as comfortably. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. 1 John 2.18 There have been 266 Antichrists, that have led the largest and most wealthy religious institution in the world, the Roman Catholic Assembly. When I was in uh, Rome at the time, uh, I went down into one of those areas where they had a list of all the, the, different, um, the different popes. And there were a multitude of them, Two, uh, 266 of them. We can see them here going from the beginning all the way through. These are these antichrists, false Christs, and these have indeed deceived many. We got it right up to the current one today, and that is Francis. He is a false Christ. He leads the greatest body of religious people in the world. He refers to himself as the vicar of Christ, the successor of the prince of the apostles, the supreme pontiff of the universal church, the primate of Italy, archbishop and metropolitan of the Roman province. Sovereign of the state of Vatican City, servant of the servants of God, Holy Father. It astounds me because Jesus actually said, Call no man Father. Take heed lest any man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Is this a sign of the times? Well, according to the Lord, it is a sign of the times. They have been there from the beginning right up until now. We know that, but they are also part of the time of the signs. And we've seen many of them. I had a look on, uh, on Wikipedia, all the different, uh, 
number of people who claim to be the Lord Jesus have popped up in the 20th century and in the 21st century. Next point this morning is truth fallen in the streets. Truth fallen in the streets. Deception is a sign of the times when truth itself is denied in principle. If you have your Bibles there, turn to Isaiah chapter 59. We'll have a look at this particular passage. And the reason I want to bring this up is that you would understand that part of the times is that truth itself has been denied. It has a direct relationship with the iniquity of man of mankind. Isaiah chapter 59, chapter 59, verses 13 to 14. Isaiah says, In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood and judgment is turned away backward and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. When truth is fallen in the street, deception immediately fills the vacuum. There's an old saying that claims that if there is no standard of truth to be kept, then all shall be accepted. It's a, you might have heard it rendered this way. Those who don't stand for anything will fall for everything. And that's exactly what's happening here in this world today. People who don't stand for anything, who don't have a standard of truth to measure anything that they're taught, if they don't have a standard of truth, they will indeed fall for anything. And so many people are doing this today. It doesn't matter whether you're saved or whether you're lost. If you don't stand on the truth and measure all things according to it, you will fall for anything. Isaiah relates that it is the iniquity of the people that precedes the fall of truth in the streets. Uh, in other words, truth is, is it's cast away. It's trodden underfoot. We don't want to have a perfect reference of truth because it might be something that, would measure, that I would be measured by. What is truth? Said the one appointed to govern Jerusalem in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it seems evident that in Pontius Pilate, the truth itself can be staring you in the face and you still can't see it. We live in an age of postmodernism where the saying there is no such thing as truth has become common. We live in an age of relativism where the saying you have your truth and I have mine has become common. When truth is fallen in the street, deception fills the vacuum. It always did and it always will. Isaiah identified that when there is no truth, there is no judgment. We look for judgment, but there is none. For salvation is, is uh, for salvation, but it is far from us. We can't have proper judgment if there is no truth. We can't measure proper judgment apart from truth. How can we discern the truth from deception if there is no standard of truth to reveal, to reveal the, the deceit? How? We can't do it. Is it our feelings that we trust? How do you know your feelings are trustworthy? Follow your heart, they say. But the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it in Jeremiah 17, 9? What if that's true? Well, how do you know that it's not true? You do it because it feels good. Do you believe it because it feels right? And these are the things that we're finding with these individuals who are getting captivated. It's not just the message 
that they hear. It's an emotional experience. It's a personal high. It's a feeling that they get. And because it feels good, they naturally assume that it is good. And we'll talk a little bit more about that tonight when we, when we, when we talk about the falling away. The falling away of the church. We'll discuss that tonight on how quickly the church is falling away, having abandoned the truth of the Bible and now giving over to emotional highs and feelings. But how can you test those feelings? I can guarantee you right now there are drug addicts that today would confess that when they take the drugs they feel good. Therefore it is good? No, clearly not. Clearly not. Your feelings do not determine truth. They don't determine what's right or what's wrong. Not even the things that you hear determine what's right or what's wrong. Not even the things that we see can determine what's right or what's wrong, believe it or not. Only that which is in the word of God. The Bible is the standard of truth. But having rejected that, we leave a vacuum for deception. It's amazing how much we would do that, though, because when we take away the truth in any form, when we decide to deny the truth in any form, we become judge and jury of our own actions. We determine for ourselves the things that are right or that are wrong, and it's simply because we have abandoned truth. The last verse in the book of Judges says, There was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Judges 21 verse 25. And that's exactly what we do. There is no authority within our lives. There is no final authority that we are to look to. And therefore, we become judge and jury of our own actions. We become perfect hypocrites. Perfect hypocrites. That's not just Christians. You know, We're charged with hypocrisy because the world knows that we're held accountable to a standard. You know, But they too are perfect hypocrites because they can't even keep the standards that they set for others. The Bible says, and even as they did not like to retain in their God, in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. When we seek to do that which is right in our own eyes, we naturally find ourselves not desiring at all to retain God in our knowledge. And it's God that gives man over to the reprobate mind. And the reprobate mind is simply a mind that has no ability to discern truth from error, a mind that is easily deceived. Have a look at Romans chapter 1 and we'll have a look at the historical context of how this transpires. How do we go from, how do we go from you know, potentially believing that God is to the point where we have a complete reprobate mind, a mind unable to discern the truth? And Romans chapter 1 lays it out so perfectly. We won't read from the beginning. We'll just take it from verse, from verse 18. Verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And this is the important point here. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was 
darkened. Then he goes on, he says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. It begins, first of all, with the denial of what is self-evident concerning God. When we walk outside and we look at this creation, it is self-evident that the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being what? Understood by the things that are made. You know, we didn't make these things that seem to self-generate. We didn't make the plants and the trees and the fruit and the birds. We didn't make all those things. We didn't make them, but they are made and they work in a perfect system, in a perfect function. It couldn't happen by accident. It's not possible. But when we deny that, we then find our foolish hearts being darkened. So anytime there is a denial of truth, that is exactly what's happened, what's happening. But he goes on here in this passage in verse 24. It says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up. Have a look at how often that says that. God gave them up. God gave them over. God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. The denial of the truth of God ends up leading a person further and further and further and further down the road of depravity in a very, in a very personal way because we begin to believe ourselves on what we believe is right or wrong. We believe for ourselves what is true and what is false. We start trusting the, the if it feels good, um, it is good mantra that's being believed by the world today. The first truth that the people of the world are held accountable to is to know the truth of who God is. It's the rejection of all that God... This is important. This is really important to consider this. It is the rejection of all that God is that leads man into all that God is not. It was Friedrich Nietzsche who first wrote that God is dead. It was his book, The Gay Science, in, chapter, in a chapter called The Parable of the Madman, an interesting chapter, Nietzsche wrote this. He said, God is dead. God remains dead. We have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? And ironically, it was after the writing of this particular book that Friedrich Nietzsche himself went clinically insane. He went mad. And ironic still, is that much of the world reveres his writings to this very day. They use it as a part of their classes in order to teach psychology, and it's astounding. They, they, they forget that this guy was a madman, and here they are trying to teach sane people the ways of a madman. It was Friedrich Nietzsche's book titled Will to Power that actually inspired Adolf Hitler. For those of you who don't know and who have a poor education with regards to their history, Adolf Hitler was the leader of the Nazi party in Germany who exterminated over 6 million Jews. 
He was the forefront of the Second World War. He was a murderous, murderous individual and a despot. And he was inspired by a madman. And many of your children are also reading the books of this madman. It's curious how often it's found in our history that when man begins to, to hate God, so too do they begin to hate man. It's really incredible how often that happens. There are individuals out there who would blame the vast majority of wars and the violence in the world is because of religion, and yet that's not true. The actual truth is that the vast majority of people who have been murdered in this world have been murdered by atheists. It's atheism that has killed hundreds and hundreds of millions of people. And Adolf Hitler was one of them, so too Stalin, so too Marx, Lenin, um, so too Pol Pot, so too um, the, the regimes in China, Chairman Mao, and even the current regime at the moment. It is atheism. When man begins to hate God, so too do they begin to hate man. When we have killed God, it seems most naturally easier to kill those made in the image of God. Too often, history demonstrates that deicide leads to homicide. It's the rejection of all that God is that leads man into all that God is not. When truth is fallen in the street, deception takes its wrongful place. And when the standard of truth is rejected, Pilate's rhetorical question is given some credibility. What is truth? What is truth? It seems evident in that, that when truth is fallen in the streets and deception takes its place, man's very life is at stake. This is, this is a life or death issue. It's a life or death issue. Where is truth? If we have none, well, we believe that it's in the Word of God. We believe that it's in the Bible, and that, that's not that's not something that I come to um, just just like that. You know, I mean, I've had to do my own um, consideration with regards to this. Truth must be evident. We have to have the truth somewhere. And those people who say that there are no truth believe that that statement is true. So that makes it impossible. You know, it's a self-conflicting, self-contradictory statement. There must be truth. The Bible is the only book in the world that confesses to itself that it is the very words of God and it is true. It's up to us whether or not we want to believe that's the case. And I do. But what happens when the word of God is not found? Third point this morning, the word of God not found. Turn your Bibles to Amos, the book of Amos. It's in one of the minor prophets. Book of Amos, chapter 8. Amos, chapter 8, verse 11. Incredible passage speaking about days to come. Amos writes this, he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. And they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. And the Bible is this standard for truth. We are living in a time when we have no idea who is telling the truth about anything. Um, and without a standard of truth, you really can't expect to. 
Politicians have, generic, have, 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 have generally made a career of lying in perfect accord with Plato's precedent that he's identified in his writing, Plato's Republic, the, the book The Republic. Plato stated really, really clearly that lying is a, is a just means for a right end. Now, those two don't reconcile. I'll explain that in a second. But politicians do that. They follow Plato's Republic with respect to that. This is a book written 500 years before Christ. But not only that, they also follow Marx's mandate. Karl Marx was the one who wrote the book Das Kapital and they follow his mandate. His mandate also is on the back of Plato's Republic. Uh, these are ancient ideas. They're not new ideas. They're not just formed initially by these individuals. These are ancient ideas. In the terms that are known as the end justifies the means. If the end is believed to be good, then the means don't matter. Deceit, mistruths, lies, statistics all have their proper place. They all have their place. You know, If the ends justify the means, then there are no means that are out of bounds doesn't work that way. The reality doesn't work that way. If it creates a breaking of the law of God to create a good end, it doesn't follow. Right? The laws of God are to create a good end. But if you need to break that law to do something good, then what you're doing can't be good. <coughs> it's one of those things that we found in... I found this on building sites with, with, with um, rough-and-tumble unionists that are actually stopping and barring entry into the building. They are filled with criminals and ex-cons. You think if you've got an institution or an organisation that's filled with criminals uh, and ex-convicts or, or ex, you know, individuals who have got a violent past or anything like that, there's a good chance that that's not a good institution. You know, The ends cannot justify the means. It cannot, because if it's a good means, it should be a good end. If it's an evil means, it is an evil end. We are today living in a time where they believe that the end justifies the means. And we don't know with regards to what's going on in the world today, whether that was deliberate or whether it wasn't deliberate. The deception around the world is astounding. People have their theories all over the place. Would it surprise me if it was? Wouldn't surprise me at all if it was deliberate. Not with today's technology. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Do I have proof of it? No, I don't. You know, I don't know because I'm relying on the media. And the media itself, well, the media itself is also something else. The media itself is um, quite an interesting organisation. We live in a time where it's so fascinating because we have no idea whether we're being told the truth even by the media. We think that when we're looking at the news, we're looking at the truth. But if the word of God is going to be a time where the word of God is not available, we don't have the truth anywhere we find ourselves then looking for the media or looking there to, to know whether it's the truth. And yet, if we were to flick the channels between the media, we'd probably find that they're all sort of singing out of the same hymn book. And it's not necessarily always true. This is an interesting... And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is, is to serve, serve our Treasure Valley communities. The El Paso, Las Cruces communities. Eastern Iowa communities. Mid-Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. 
But we are concerned about troubling trend that is responsible one-sided news stories plaguing our country. Plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish these same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, some media outlets publish these same stories without checking facts first. Unfortunately, some members of the media use their platforms to push their own personal bias and agenda to control exactly what people think. And this is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 You think that when you're actually watching the news, you're getting good, balanced reporting? And that's of a conservative news network. The majority of those were Fox News. Well, how much worse is it when you're looking at CNN, MSNBC, uh, NBC and all that sort of thing? How much worse is it when we're looking at Channel 7, Channel 9, Channel 10, Channel 2, the ABC? How much worse is it there? It's not surprising that we get a particular narrative that is being told to us that is filled with confusion and it begins to confuse us. The Word of God is not being preached, it's not found, the standard of truth is no longer available to us and as a direct result of that, we have a complete transformation of a society. The transformation of the society is deliberate. The teaching of certain narratives is to turn society into a particular direction. It was was the founder of uh, CNN, Ted Turner, who actually prided himself on being able to form public opinion and basically, as far as he was concerned, he could put any person into the presidency that he wanted. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. But to say that they don't sway the public opinion, well, I think you've got your head in the sand. It's what's known as the dissemination of information for the, pro- for the promotion of a predetermined outcome. Okay, What we're talking about is what they say now is fake news. They speak about fake news. Well, fake news isn't new. Fake news is just a simple term for the word that used to be used in the past, propaganda. And propaganda is the dissemination of information. It's being able to hand out information in a broad manner in order to sway and to turn public opinion towards something that has a predetermined outcome, always. It's also part of what's known as the Hegelian dialectic. It's this ability to speak, to come up with, we currently have a particular synthesis of ideas We need to have an antithesis to that synthesis and those two are brought together, dialogue happens and then we have a new synthesis, all right? It's part of the Hegelian dialectic and it's it's performed time and time again. I I spoke to a lady a number of years ago who was going to a, uh, a, a debate 
and it was a presentation that was being put on the ABC, and I can't remember what the specific thing was about. It was fairly serious. And she told me about it, and I actually said to her, I want you, while you're there, to watch for this. The, the, the outcome has already been predetermined. You're going to be probably sitting amongst in, in a table full of Christians because that's how they've set this up. They've got the Christians over there, they've got these people over there, those people over there. They'll give everybody else a reasonable amount of time, but probably you not so much, right? But the outcome is already predetermined. They're not looking for what the general opinion is. They're looking at an outcome that has been predetermined and then they will put forward what the general outcome is. But the general outcome is predetermined already. Now, you've got to ask yourself the question, how did we go from criminalising homosexuality to sanctifying it in less than 30 years? How did that happen without a dramatic transformation of the culture's mentality, of their mindset? How did we go from criminalising suicide to assisting it in less than 10 years? How did that happen without a dramatic transformation of the society's minds with regards to the nature of suicide? How did we go from biologically determining sex to preference determination of it in less than five years? So now, if I feel like a woman, I'm therefore a woman. My biology doesn't determine whether I'm a man or a woman. It's how I feel. It's how I'm determined by myself, according to my own measurements, without any evidence. You know, and if I feel like a man tomorrow, then I'll be a man tomorrow. Are we getting to the point now that we're not even calling our babies um, boys or girls? They're almost leaving it blank. There's a move in the United States at the moment to be referring to them generally as babies. Babies. They're a, it's a baby. It's not a baby. It's a baby. And then we'll leave them until they're old and mature enough, usually around the age of four, to determine whether or not they're a boy or a girl. How did we go to such reprobate minds? It was a, it was a little while ago that I'm sorry, I'm going off on a rabbit trail, but I, I, this is so important. It was a while ago that I actually mentioned once you, once you introduce that particular idea and you put it into sports, then that idea will naturally have a consequence to it. And I'm astounded that it's taken the media so long to be able to see that there's a consequence. So if a man decides that he is a woman without any physical changes to himself and he enters into a sporting endeavour, he will generally dominate. He will dominate. So all these women's liberationists are going to actually find that there will soon be an end to women's sports if we keep that up. And... Really, you don't have to believe me. You can take a look on news items all over the place of men who have kickboxing champion, new women's kickboxing champion, put the woman in hospital with a broken jaw and nearly put her in a coma. She said that she felt like she was hit by a truck. But that's okay because he's a she. He is the woman's kickboxing champion of the world. You know, and it goes on and on. The, the track and field, the runners in the track and field. You know, you've got new records being set by, by men in a women's sport because the society has lost a foundation for truth and they have found themselves with a reprobate mind. Beloved, how do we go from abortion being considered murder to it being considered as health care? Even an essential service in the last few months. 
It's the media. It's the media. It speaks with one voice and it moves us and sways us and turns us. And the passage that we're looking at in Amos indicates that there's going to be a time that will come where people are going to be searching for the truth, searching for the word of the Lord and unable to find it. What will it be like if the only news that we're permitted to receive is that which is ordained by the, pow- by the powers that be? You don't think it's happening? It's already happening. Have you posted something on Facebook or anything like that and the video has been deleted? Have you posted something on a social media that you believe is not, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not vile, it's not refuse, it's not disgusting, it's not swearing, it's not, all that, incredibly enough, all that is allowed. But if you go against the narrative, then that information is removed. You see it at the moment underneath where we're looking at COVID-19. We see all these other articles that are actually being posted and directly underneath it as a precursor on YouTube is, if you want to know the truth, go to the WHO. The WHO has become the most discredited organisation in the world to this point. They're not trustworthy at all and yet they have to have their stamp on the bottom of every video that wants to tell you something different with respect to the current narrative. Truth is fallen in the streets. The word of God is no longer available to us. And when we don't have the word of God available to us, then every form of idea that gets promoted, we will be sucked in by. And it can cost your life. November 18th, 1978, 913 people were deceived to death by a Pentecostal preacher by the name of Jim Jones. It remains to this day as the largest mass murder-suicide in the United States history. Deception will always fill the vacuum when truth is rejected. Each of these people had an opportunity to read the Bible. Jim Jones held up the Bible like I'm holding up the Bible now and yet he would distort it and turn it inside out and upside down but because it felt good because he seemed to be doing a good thing, because all the works that were following him seemed to be good, many, many people followed him and in the end they followed him to their deaths. There's been a phrase that's been used ever since then referred to drinking the Kool-Aid. Well, it wasn't Kool-Aid that was used. It was a fruity mixture mixed with cyanide. It wasn't Kool-Aid, but that was the, the phrase that did terrible did a terrible effect on the actual company that made Kool-Aid. But drinking of the Kool-Aid is, is effectively now a euphemism for believing the deception. Believing the deception. And the world is given over to it because truth is fallen in the streets. Be not deceived, said the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one way and one way alone to ensure that you might not be deceived. Read and believe the word of God and follow no man. And it's really hard, isn't it? Amos says that there's going to be a time coming where they will look for the word of God, not, not find it. They'll look to hear the word of God and they won't find it anywhere. Today we're living in a time where in the English language alone we've suffered with 450 versions of this book. Oh, the devil's done a masterful job at hiding the Bible in a sea of obscurity. So we can't trust it, you know, in his eyes. Well, I'm sorry, but there is one. There is one. Amongst all the false prophets that are out there, the false Christs that are out there, there is one that is true, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ.
the gods, the millions of billions of gods that people believe out there, there is one true God who has manifested himself through Jesus Christ and in his word. And in all the English versions that we have available to us, there is one, the authorised version of the Bible that is proven to itself to be true time and time and time and time again. And it follows on with God promising to preserve his word. He said it, I believe it. You've got a problem with the preservation of God's word? Don't take it up with me. I didn't write it. God wrote it. He said that that's the case. So I believe he's inspired it and preserved it to this day and he's not limited by language. Those of you that do need to check yourselves with scripture. Last point this morning as I wrap this message up today. Distress of nations with perplexity. In Luke chapter 21, which is dealing with the same issues of Matthew chapter 24. Remember, we've got Luke 21, Mark 13, Matthew 24, all of them talking about the end times. And in Luke chapter 21, verses 25 to 28, Jesus says this, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. I dare say none of those false Christs actually came in a cloud. I'd have to change the meaning of that. It was interesting, there was a young girl who answered her, um, her, asked her mother the question when the pastor said that God didn't mean what he said there. She said, Mum, if God didn't mean what he said, why didn't he just say what he meant? <laughs> Such a simple argument, out of the mouth of babes, out of the mouth of babes. Jesus indicated that deception is to be watched against in the days before he returns. We've already seen how easy it is to be deceived and led astray. How incredible the Bible describes something interesting here. It says in verse 25, And upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. Perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring. Perplexity. Some of the synonyms are confusion, bafflement, incomprehension, bewilderment. There's this, this question with regards to what on earth is going on today? And you ask people, you know, all over the place, you know, and there's a similar saying that everybody, everybody asks, you know, has the world gone mad? You know, we've all gone mad. So I decided, I thought I'll, I'll do a search on the internet. Has the world gone mad? I'll put the question in there. And in 0.77 of a second, 389 million pages came up. And I thought, okay, well, I'll ask the question a little bit differently. The world is mad. So I did that and you get over a billion pages comes up. The world is mad. Well, a billion pages means a billion individuals <laughs> wrote pages that are reflected in that search. And uh, that's a decent proportion of the Western world, you know. Perplexity is the overriding emotion of the day. But we know that God is not the author of confusion. So how has this come about? Well, it's simply come about because we live in a time of great deception. And great deception is yet another sign of the times. The book of Daniel speaks to the leaders of these last days. He speaks of the leaders that will join together during this time of the tribulation in Daniel eleven twenty seven, 27. 
And it says, And both of these kings' hearts shall be to do mischief, and they shall speak lies at one table. But it shall not prosper, for, the, for yet the end shall be at the time appointed. Daniel eleven twenty seven. Lies can never prosper. Rulers of nations can never be benefited by deception. And yet it seems clear that both of these kings thought it just to be deceptive and they speak lies at one table. And if this is the state of our leaders, are we to be surprised that upon earth there will be distress of nations with perplexity? There's going to be people all over the place confused about what's going on. The Bible says, and the sea and the waves roaring. The Bible uses this particular, and it is indeed often used as a metaphor in the scriptures, the sea and the waves, the waters. The, the Bible uses that as a metaphor for people, the people of the world, the people of the world. Psalm 67, uh, 65, 7 speaks about God, which stilleth the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves and the tumult of the people. There is a link there. Isaiah 17.12 says, Woe to the multitude of many people which make a noise like the noise of the seas and to the rushing of nations which make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. There is a link there with respect to this. And it's the perfect picture of distress of nations. Perfect picture of distress of nations. When people and nations are found to be roaring and there's incredible animosity towards their um, towards their representatives those who those who lead them one of the things that i had a consideration with of was with respect to riots riots within the world riots all over the place and we see riots happening within the world and it just continues on we had riots in lesbos greece in um, another one in the north delhi riots another one in in italy another one in ohio a university riot, another one in Italy, erupting in, in 50 prisons. There was hundreds of inmates who escaped in, in another one in Brazil, riots in overcrowded Lebanon prisons. Another one in Israel erupted. Uh, prisons in Colombia, prison riots break out, breaking out across Argentina. A migrant detention facility also erupted in violence and riots. Prisoners riot in Luxembourg, prison riot in Siberia, Russia. That's just this year so far. And that's only until April. That's the nature of all of these riots. And their riots are turning about all over the world. And they've been going on for a long time. But when you have a look at the list of all these riots and these demonstrations and, and, and that around the world, you find that in the 2020s, the list is enormous. In the 20th century, it was huge. In the 19th century, a little bit less. And in the 20th century, it just continues to grow. There is distress of nations with perplexity. And that's what we're seeing happening today. We're seeing this distress of nations coming past. The Bible refers to the last kingdom as a kingdom that is iron mixed with miry clay. In other words, it's going to be partly strong and partly broken. Excuse that, that dark screen. That, um, let's see if I can get that back to a dark one. Um, the Bible refers to the last kingdom to be a kingdom of iron mixed with miry clay. In other words, it's going to be partly strong, partly broken. It'll be a kingdom that won't hold together. It gives you the picture of a, of a, of a broken, divisive and, and divided world. The goal is unity, but the result is going to be extreme division. 
It'll be indeed distress of nations with perplexity. Is this a sign of the times? Is this a sign of the times? Are we seeing around us today a world that is indeed um, filled with perplexity? Is there division? We're seeing that play itself out today. You know, It's an incredible thing to be able to witness these things. I want to wrap up with just this thought. If we're living in those times, if we're living in, the, in these end days, then, then how are you set? How, how are you set? How, how are your priorities as a Christian? You know, these are things that are evident. And what about you who don't know the Lord? What about those of you who are not yet in safekeeping? Can you, can you see the truth of the Bible manifesting itself in the world today? And if you can see the truth of the Bible manifesting itself in the world today, then where are you at? Are you ready? Are you ready for the days that are coming? Or are you just going to sit idly by, waiting for them to come upon you? These are, these are incredible days that are, that are going to be coming, but more so there is a message of hope in this because if the Bible is true and it is with respecting these days, then believe the gospel. Believe the gospel because wrapped up within these confusing days is the hope and the light of Christ. Believe the gospel. Be saved. Know the Lord Jesus Christ. He died that you might live. He died for your sins, yours specifically. And put your name there. If you were the only person that was alive, he would have died for your sins that you might be reconciled to God. And all it takes is believing what Jesus Christ has done. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. God sent his only begotten son into the world. And Jesus spoke about that. He said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. You are lost if you don't know Christ. And these days are days filled with confusion for you. But the Bible makes it all plain, everything plain. So believe the gospel, I pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, dear Lord, I ask and pray, dear Father, you would be with those who don't know you. I know, dear Lord, that the message was long today. And I pray, dear Father, that, um, that those who had ears to hear would have heard the wonderful truth of your word and how it's playing out in life. I pray, dear Father, for your work within each of our lives. And I pray, dear Lord, those that have heard the gospel this morning, that they may come to the knowledge of Christ, that they may be saved, that they may have rest and comfort in you. And I pray, dear Lord, for those of us who are born again, those of us who are saved and know Christ, I pray that these days, dear Lord, would give us a greater excitement for the preaching of the gospel of Christ because our redemption indeed draws near and that we can rejoice in all that the Lord is doing because his word is true. I pray, dear Father, you'd be with them also. Bless the mothers this day as well. Comfort them. May your grace, dear Lord, fall upon them and let the wonderful joy of who you are, Father, give them the assurance of a life that is so blessed. We thank you in Jesus' glorious name. Amen.